0: Well, hey, welcome to you who are joining us from home, Crosspoint. Uh, My name is Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosspoint, for those of you who are are just joining us for the first time. And if you are, let me just say to you, welcome. We're so glad that you're uh, celebrating Jesus with us this morning as a church community. Hey, uh, you've probably guessed, if you haven't heard, we are starting a new teaching series this morning, and we're doing a deep dive into the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to be in this amazing book actually for a number of weeks because we are going to be covering Romans all the way through. So from cover to cover, chapters 1 to chapter 16. So I'm, I'll be honest, I don't know which is going to last longer. I'm not sure if we are going to outlast the pandemic or not, but we'll see what happens. Uh, hey, thanks uh, to Grace Uh, for reading the scripture this morning, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing as we go throughout the series. We're going to have a number of different scripture readers who are going to read for us before we begin the message. If you haven't heard already, turn with us to uh, Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be landing this morning, verses 1 through 17. And uh, also, if you want to, and I recommend that you do, <coughs> there are sermon notes uh, that are found online at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. And that will help you to track along with us as we're walking through the text this morning. Uh, hey, just a moment of confession. I, I, am, I am absolutely stoked About Going through this teaching series. I mean Romans is one of my favorite books. I've never taught through the entire book of Romans before I've done different passages. Uh, So I'm looking forward to the deep work that Romans is going to do in my soul because here's the thing about the book of Romans. The book of Romans is revolutionary. I mean, in the history of Christian theology, it's pretty easy to argue that it is the most influential. It is the quintessential New Testament book. I mean, it, this book has revolutionary, revolutionized lives. It's revolutionized uh, movements. Uh, some of our great uh, Christian leaders of the past, like Jonathan Wesley and Martin Luther, were both impacted by the text. I mean, and of course, Wesley, he started a revival and Luther, you know, was part of a reformation. And another great People, Famous people throughout Christian history like uh, Augustine and Calvin were deeply moved by their study of Romans. Uh, Some have said that wherever there has been a revival in Western Christianity, so Christianity within the Western world, the book of Romans was somewhere in the midst of that revival. So this is a revolutionary book. The theologian J.I. Packer, here's what he once wrote. He said, All roads in the Bible lead to Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what will happen. And my hope and my prayer for this series is that the message of Romans will get into your heart. And the message of Romans will get into my heart. And and it will get into the heart of us as a church, Crosspoint, and that we will never be the same again. Now, as we go through the book of Romans, we are not going to be going through it like verse by verse. Okay, that is just way too much territory to cover. Uh, I read the other day about this pastor, a very famous pastor, a great orator and preacher, Martin uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He took his church through the entire book of Romans verse by verse. He started in 1955. He finished in 1968. Okay, It took 13 years. We are not going to do that. I'll be retiring by that time almost. So no, we're not going to do that. Way too long. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of Romans section by section. And we're going to take some stops and some breaks along the way. And as we go through each section, let me just say that we are not going to be looking at everything in that section. Instead, our goal will be to just say Enough. So I want to be tracking and listening to the Holy Spirit as I study it, and I hopefully will highlight from the text what is most important to us in the now. So this is why I think it's really important that you consider studying Romans for yourself. Um... You know, if you've looked at the notes already from this morning, you go through there, you'll see that there are lots of ways for you to go deeper into the text. I've provided a lot of different examples of ways that you can get started, and one ways that you can maybe set up some rhythms for getting into Romans on a regular basis. Uh, Also, we've posted home group study materials online. Uh, We've done a lot of work on those. Uh, They go up every Sunday night, so they're not there right now, but they will go up tonight. Um, And uh, you, maybe even as an individual, if you're not in a home group that uh, is is studying the Romans, uh, the book of Romans. You might just say, "I'm going to grab those notes for myself and work my way through it." And I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll consider going deeper into Romans for yourself as we go through this book together as an entire church. So, so, let me let me start with this question: What what is the book of Romans? Well, the book of Romans was a letter that was written to a church in Rome, uh, somewhere around 57 A.D. And this is really important to understand, because Romans isn't a theological treatise. It's, it's not a doctrinal statement. It was an actual letter that was written personally to a group of people, and that letter was written with a purpose. And that's so really important to understand if you want to know Romans, and if you want to understand Romans. You have to understand this background about the text. And of course, the author of Romans is none other than Paul the Apostle. He wrote a large majority uh, of the New Testament So let me just give you a little bit of backstory on Paul, in case you don't know him. Maybe you're checking out church for the first time this morning. Uh, Paul was a Jewish man, and he was sent by Jesus to go out into the Roman world, which would be the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. He was sent to the Gentile world as an apostle, in other words, as a messenger, to bring the good news. Now, Paul was a devout Jew his entire life. As a matter of fact, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. So he was a Jew of all Jews. And, and he went by a different name back then. He, he went by the name of Saul in his early days. And Saul took Judaism to just like another level. I mean, he was a zealot. He was, uh, he was a person who persecuted Christians. He stood over Christians as they were being murdered for their faith. But somewhere along the journey, Jesus got a hold of Saul's life. And it was through some pretty miraculous circumstances. And Paul had a conversion experience. And then Jesus sent Saul out into the world to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles. And that's really what the word apostle means. It means sent one. It It means messenger. So when Saul began his mission to the Gentiles, he changed his name. And he changed his name to Paul. And then he went about from city to city proclaiming the gospel, teaching the gospel. Uh, he would go to pl- different places. He would set up churches. And once he, he'd stay there sometimes for a great period of time, he'd raise up leaders. And once he felt the church could survive on its own, he'd move on. And he'd go to another church and he'd set up another church. Well, Paul had never been to Rome, interestingly enough. And, and Paul had didn't, of course, plant the church in Rome. Actually, church tradition says that it was probably Simon Peter who was the one who planted the church in Rome. But Paul always wanted to go to Rome. And and we picked that up in the beginning of Paul's letter this morning. And this is because Paul's driving passion was to preach the gospel wherever the name of Jesus had not been heard. So he, he felt pretty good about the work that he had done east of Rome. You know, Jerusalem and, and, and in Asia Minor. Uh, but now he was starting to set his sights on what was west of Rome. Because he felt like, you know, the gospel had pretty much been heard here. So his goal was to go to Rome, where, because Rome needed some help, preach the gospel there. And then after that, he wanted to move on to Spain. And he was kind of hoping that Rome would kind of become his new base of operations for his new mission journey out uh, further west. Now, Paul actually had some close friends in Rome, so he was, you know, wasn't, had, had no knowledge of the city. He actually heard quite a little bit about what was happening in the church, and, and Paul had discovered that there were some problems in the church in Rome. Isn't that interesting? A church with problems never happens in our day. Anyway... You see, that what was going on in the church in that time is there was this tension between two major groups of people, the Jews and the non-Jews, or, or, or the Gentiles. And, and they were kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. And Paul said, you know what, I've experienced quite a lot of this in my ministry travels. So Paul decides he's going to write to the church to help them navigate some of these issues. But the church there also had some other problems. And the big problem was that they were in Rome. And in the Roman Empire, and in Rome in particular, there is a growing resistance to Christians. Because here's the thing, Rome was was the empire's center of power. That's where the emperor lived. That's where his throne was. And there was this growing distrust and mistrust of Christians. And they were suddenly feeling this deep pressure to conform to the culture around them. See, the thing about the church in Rome, at that time, when Paul was writing to them, is it was quite small. There were actually maybe about 100 people who were in the church. And they didn't meet together in like a church auditorium or in a church building. Instead, they met together in house churches. And there were about four or five of these house churches. And people would huddle together in these house churches, maybe 20 or 30 people in each individual separated church. And most of the people in the church at that time were of the lower class. They were poor. They were powerless. You read the names at the end of the uh, book of Romans, and you discover that they were slave names. They were freedmen. So they were, they were not influential. They were not powerful. They were not wealthy in the city. They didn't own church buildings. They lived in a society that didn't have democratic rights, okay? So they would never go and protest march about anything that they disagreed with. They were powerless. They were the lowest rung in the most powerful city in the world. And yet, and yet this group of people, and this letter would turn the world upside down. Well, today we're going to look at the introduction to the book of Romans, to Paul's letter. And mainly we're going to focus our attention on verses 16 to 17. You know, most scholars will agree that these two verses kind of act as a summary of the entire book of Romans. So it's like Paul took all of Romans and he squeezed it into just these two small sentences. Kind of, kind of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson putting on a pair of skinny jeans, if you can imagine that. And now the verses are there and they're they just kind of waiting to come out, waiting to explode. What is the theme of these two verses? I think you can pick it up right away. As a matter of fact, it's the theme of the entire introduction. The theme of these two verses is this the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is amazing how much we can learn about the gospel just in these first 17 verses of the book of Romans. So, what is the gospel? Well, I think for many of us, when when we think about this question, our answer to the question is often informed by our current cultural moment. So when we think about the gospel, we might think about the four spiritual laws, or or we might think about Billy Graham's crusade, or or, or we might think about the, the sinner's prayer. But what I'm hoping to do as we walk through this text this morning is to kind of put aside our cultural baggage, our cultural clutter, and to just read Paul on his own terms. And to ask the question, well, what did Paul mean when he talked about the gospel? See, in Paul's day, the word gospel it comes up from a Greek word, which is euangelion, okay? And the word euangelion, it's the word where we get our evangelism from, okay? But it essentially meant good news, or, or it meant glad tidings, or, or it meant good announcement. And in the ancient world... Eugelion was used to describe a whole bunch of different types of events. But most famously, it was used whenever enemy armies marched away to fight an opponent, and they won a victory, they would send a messenger back with a eugelion, with good news, with glad tidings, that a great victory had been achieved. And for the Romans, whenever a new emperor ascended to the throne, whenever he was brought forth as the new Caesar, messengers went out throughout the empire with this eugelion. They went out with glad tidings of this new leader. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of find that in today's age, I, I need a little bit of good news. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought 2020 was bad enough. And I think you probably agree, like 2020 was like... As far as the world is concerned, one of the worst years on record. You may have had a worse year for yourself, but as far as the world goes, it was probably one of the worst years on record. And and, and I mean, it felt like we were just like getting bombarded and hit with bad news one after another. I mean, there's COVID and then there's murder hornets and then there's swarmageddon and then there's election stuff and it just got worse and worse and worse. And we kind of thought, okay, 2020, you're done, right? Oh, here's 2021. It's going to be so much better because the calendar flipped, right? And if the calendar flipped, we know there's just like this magical thing that happens and everything gets good again, right? Well, of course, 2021 is not much different. I mean, there's more bad news. And it feels like, like in just 10 days in, in the world, we're off to a rough start. I mean, uh, we have Canadian politicians deciding that they're going to go on exotic vacations when they really shouldn't be, right? Uh, we we, ha- we find out that the the, the the virus has mutated into different strains in, like, Britain and in, in south, uh, south Africa. And of co- then, of course, this week, there's the Capitol Hill riot to our neighbors in the south, just south of the border. And, it, you know, I, can, I, can I just say for the record this morning, okay? I, I think it needs to be said that what we witnessed this past week there was both heinous and despicable. And, and I, I want to say that this morning, and I think, I think it's important to say that this morning, uh, because if you scan the crowd, you realize there's a lot of Christian symbolism showing up. And, and, and there's a lot of people saying that they're doing this in, in Jesus' name. And so I just want to set the record straight for us as a community, because I, I know the media outlet's just going to lump all Christians together, lump all believers together, and says, you see? I mean, that's what, that's what right-wing Christians actually believe. I can say... This morning, with tremendous confidence that theft, murder, destruction, violence, and rioting are not in Jesus' playbook. This is not what Jesus had in mind when he said, love your neighbor. And, and you know, if you think otherwise, I, I just pray for you and I encourage you to please, please read your whole Bible Don't just read the three or four verses that you've underlined, okay? But actually read the entire Bible, and I hope that you will come to see that this is true as well. Okay, that's all i got to say about that. Um, Shots fired. Send me emails. Okay, I love you. Um, We can agree to disagree, uh, but please read your Bible. So, anyways, uh, a lot of bad news lately in the news. And, And is there anybody there at home who's saying, you know what, I really, really wish... That I could hear some good news today. Well, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna listen to Paul and we're gonna discover some good news. In fact, the best news ever, the good news about Jesus Christ. And so, as we look at Paul's introduction, I wanna unpack it into four ways, and I wanna look at four facets of the good news that Paul talks about. Here's the first facet First of all, it's good news about his son. Good news about his son. You'll notice that Paul says in verse 3 and verse 9, he says this is the gospel of his son. So what that means is that Jesus is at the center of the gospel. In other words, it would not be good news without Jesus. So what does Paul tell us about Jesus? Well, a couple of things. First of all, he says that Jesus was descended... As Israel's rightful heir. In other words, you can trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back to King David. And and this was important because the law and the prophets, they pointed towards a coming Messiah who would uh, sit on David's throne. In other words, he would be descended of David. So Paul is saying Jesus is Israel's Messiah who brings the story of Israel to its fulfillment. But second, it also says that Jesus was declared as the resurrected son of God. Now, Paul's not saying that Jesus became the Son of God through the resurrection. As a matter of fact, you read the Gospels and read the New Testament, you realize that he was already declared as the Son of God. Prior to that, Jesus has always been the Son of God. But what he's saying is that when Jesus rose on the third day through the power of the Holy Spirit, he declared to all of the universe, he declared to all of the principalities and the powers and the forces of evil that he was who he said he was. He was Israel's Messiah, the Son of God. He was the Lord of all. Now, it's really important. I mean, we really have to consider just how subversive this message was that Paul was sending out. Remember, Paul's writing to believers in Rome. This is the greatest city in the world. This is where you found the throne of the most powerful person in the, in the world, Caesar, Emperor Nero. I mean, if you know anything about Nero, I mean, you know that he was insecure. He was paranoid, a bit un, unhinged, and he was also thoroughly narcissistic. I mean, here's the titles that Theo uh, Nero liked to use about himself. This is how he described himself. He, he, he liked to be called by Nero Caesar Lord or the son of the greatest of gods, or Nero, the Lord of the whole world. And I want you to think about this. Paul's letter would have first been read in one of these tiny little house churches, 20 to 30 people crammed together in this smelly, sweaty little house, okay? And it would have been located down in the poor district, and and the poor district would have been sitting under the hill of Caesar's palace where the greatest person in the world was sitting. And Paul was writing this letter to them, and he was reminding them, hey, let me tell you who the real Son of God is. Let me remind you who the real Lord of all is. This was, this was subversive language, because to announce that Jesus was Lord was to announce that Caesar was not. Friends, I really think it's important that we remember that tyrants and despots rise and fall. Presidents and prime ministers, uh, they come and go, but the gospel declares that there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, God's son, Israel's Messiah, Messiah, and and his kingdom is going to outlast all of the others. And his resurrection power, when it gets into people's hearts and it changes and transforms them, his resurrection power takes down empires from within. And one day, this King Jesus will return and he'll right all wrongs and he'll bring God's justice to of the world and he will rule and reign forever. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the praise of his glory. The biggest issue for us as believers in Christ is not who sits on the throne in Rome or who sits in power in, in Ottawa or in Washington. The question is for us, who sits on the throne of my heart? If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, Jesus Christ is not Lord at all. And if He is the Lord of all, the implications of that good news, it's far-reaching. Well, here's the second facet. It's good news about the power for salvation. Paul says that in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Think about this question. How much power would it take to raise somebody from the dead? The reality is we have no idea. I mean, we can resuscitate people who've been dead for maybe a few minutes. But how do you raise somebody from, dead, from the dead whose body has been sitting in the desert heat for three days? How much power does that take? And Paul is saying that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I for salvation. Now, I just want to take a moment this morning. I want to kind of clear up a little bit of a misunderstanding, a common misunderstanding about that word salvation. Because I think oftentimes when we hear that word salvation, we immediately think it means going to be with Jesus when I die. Maybe you've heard that. And, and churches often talk about, well, you need to get saved, or, or churches will say you need to be saved. And salvation sometimes gets reduced to to maybe saying a prayer or making a deal with God. It's almost like salvation is a, a type of a uh, type of fire insurance or a kind of a get out of jail free card uh, for Monopoly. But this is not what Paul had in mind when he spoke about salvation. See, for, for Paul, salvation was both, a pre, was both a present reality as well as a future hope. And Paul would say that through the completed work of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will one day be saved. And as a matter of fact, the entire book of Romans fleshes this out and describes what salvation really is. But this morning, I think it's important that I don't just stay with the word, but I give you some highlights what Paul is going to be talking about in the book of Romans. So here we go, spoiler alert. We will discover in the book of Romans that Jesus cancels our sin debt through the cross, that he restores us to relationship with God, and that he breaks the power of sin in our lives. He infuses us with his love and with power so that we can put our broken lives back together. He adopts us into a new community. He gives us joy in suffering as we anticipate a great and future hope. He helps reconcile us with our enemies, and he gives us purpose, purpose as we share with him in his mission to save the world. Friends, salvation is far greater; it is far more expansive than just a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. And this is why Paul would say, "I I am unashamed about this gospel." And I am willing to go to the ends of the earth to tell everybody about it. Because this gospel is the power of God for salvation. Well, here's a third facet uh, about the gospel. Paul would say that it is good news for everyone. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 16. It is for everyone. He also says that this message is, in in verse 5 and verse 8, it is for all nations. Or this gospel is for all the world. You know, about six or seven years before Paul wrote his letter, there was trouble in Rome for Jewish people. Um, Back then, Rome had had a different emperor, and the emperor at that time was Claudius, and Claudius kind of had a thing in for Christians. He didn't like Christians. We don't know exactly all the details why that is. Maybe it's because Christians and Jews were fighting, or maybe it's because Christians refused to, to take part in a lot of the idolatry that was involved in the empire. We don't know exactly, but Claudius didn't like Christians. But back then, he couldn't differentiate between what a Christian was and what a Jew was. Because after all, I mean, didn't Christians follow this Jewish Messiah? So Claudia basically threw out the baby with the bathwater. He took all of the Jews that were in Rome and he cast them out. He expelled them from the city of Rome. Which also means that the church in Rome lost all of the Jewish Christians. All of the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome went and lived in different parts of the empire. And so that means that the church that remained was completely non-Jewish. It was a completely Gentile church. And they were actually left to themselves for several years. But then a few years later, Nero came back in power. And when Nero came back in power, he invited all of the Jewish people back into the city. Which meant that all of the Jewish Christians came back to the church that was there in Rome. So imagine this. I mean, there were actually these gap years where the church in Rome only had Gentiles. And they continued to follow Jesus faithfully. Uh, They actually elected their own leaders. But now that the Jewish Christians were gone, they kind of said, well, do we need to kind of keep following these Jewish traditions, like food restrictions and and sacred days? And and they probably started to wonder, well, you know, that whole thing about circumcision— Maybe that's not such a good idea. Maybe we can stop doing that for a little while, okay? But then the Jews came back to Rome. And you can imagine when they came back to Rome, some of the Jewish Christians would begin to ask, should not Gentiles who are followers of the Jewish Messiah Jesus still keep the law of Moses? And so what happened was there started to be that suspicion and tension, and sometimes even hostility. And Paul recognizes this, and he hears about this. And so this is one of the things that Paul is addressing throughout his letter. And it's really important to know about this, because this is going to help color your understanding of the text and what it actually means. But here in the introduction, Paul, I mean, he comes out swinging. He doesn't pull any punches. He hits it right at the beginning. And what we hear from Paul, even at the beginning, is that Jesus came to do a new work. Jesus came to create a new humanity. Now, it doesn't mean that God had abandoned Israel. It doesn't mean that, that Israel didn't have a special place as God's covenant people. But what Paul is going to tell us is that Jesus brings the story of Israel to its fulfillment, to its completion. And that now Jesus has invited Gentiles to come and be part of his covenant community, to be part of this new humanity. And what this means then is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is for everyone. And what this also means is that within this new humanity that Jesus has created, there should be no division. You see, that's the thing about being a human being, is it, is it is really easy for us, it's almost human nature for us, to the divide the world into us and them. I mean, you find this in Paul's text. He says that the Greeks divided the world into Greeks and barbarians. The Jewish people, the Jews invited, uh, divided the world into Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. And I don't think that we're much different. I mean, Look around us in the day in which we live. We we still create divisions. We're still carving the world into different factions. Conservative or liberal. Canadian or American. Mask wearers or non-mask wearers. Black or white. Rough rider fans and those who should know better. But Jesus came to create one new humanity. Humanity. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to bring reconciliation to these differences. While we experience the transforming power of Jesus in our lives, we begin to practice love and repentance and forgiveness. We honor one another. We learn to submit to one another. And through this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the way of Jesus. It brings about this new humanity. I think our world that we live in needs the gospel more than ever before. Only the gospel has the power to turn natural enemies into brothers and sisters who love one another. And if we ever lived in a day and age where this is needed, it is now, where we're total um, entities of people are being deconstructed and torn apart, where new tribes are forming, where lines are being drawn, we have polarization on the left and the right, we need the power of the gospel in our day and age. You know, friends, this is why, why here at Crosspoint, one of our core values as a church, and there are seven of them, but one of our core values is to be multi-ethnic. Because here's the thing, is we believe that every human being on the planet was created in the image of God. And because they were created in the image of God, then they have value and they have worth and they have dignity. We also believe that our God is a triune God. He is a plurality and unity, which is a beautiful thing. Difference and unity all in one place. And like the Trinity, we want to be that as a community, a plurality of unity, reflecting the image of God to the world. We want to be our, our church to be a pointer that points towards the, the future church that's described in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7 and verse 14 by the John the Beloved. Here's what John writes: He says this: He says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Friends, this is the church. This is how the church should be. A new humanity brought together under Jesus, the second Adam. And when people from every nation and tongue and tribe come together as one body, well, it's a a beautiful kaleidoscope of sizes and shapes and, and colors and ages and genders and incomes. And, we, and, and in this church, we celebrate and we honor our differences, but we unite under Jesus, our King. This is the church, and this is the church that we are striving to build here at Crosspoint. You know, every Sunday when, when, we, when, we, when we're meeting in person, and sometimes online, but when we're meeting in person, we make this little statement at the end of every gathering. I don't know if you picked up on it, but we say, meet someone who doesn't look like you. Do you know that's really intentional for us? It's because we long to be that kind of community, a multi ethnic community, a plurality in unity. We value it so deeply. And that's because this good news is for everyone. So the good news is for everyone, but did you know that this means that the good news is for you? Do you know that today? That this good news, this gospel of Jesus, is actually for you. And, and I don't know, you might be listening today and you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I don't feel like I deserve this. I mean, Rob, you have no idea what I've done. You've, you have no idea what I did yesterday or what I've done with my life. I don't, I don't deserve this. Or you might be here today and you, you just feel this weight of everybody's bad information on you and this weight of people's opinion of you and you feel like your whole life you've been treated as valueless and worthless. Or Or maybe you're just... like your whole life, you've kind of just been in the background, ignored, not important. I'm here to tell you today that this good news is for you. And here's the thing about the gospel. Nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves it. And that's why it is good news. It is good news for everybody. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot pay for it. And the good news is it's already been paid for for you by Jesus, by giving his life for you on your behalf. And today, Jesus, Lord of all, is offering himself to you. This gospel is for you. You simply need to take hold of it. Well, let me talk about the final facet this morning. It's this. It's that the good news, it's good news that reveals God's righteousness. You know, in verse 17, Paul says that in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a strange statement. That seems like a little bit of an odd statement. What does Paul mean by that? Well, for the Jewish believers, the story of Jesus may have seemed like a bit of a surprise. Like, they might have thought, okay, God, is God hoodwinking us here? I mean, this kind of seems like a bait and switch, okay? Because, you know, what what about... God's promises to Israel and what about all the requirements that are in the law that God gave to us you know so is God kind of like throwing his people and throwing his promises under the bus here and what Paul is saying is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness that that word reveal in the Greek it's apocalypsis it means to unveil to make known to reveal so in other words Paul's saying it pulls back the curtain and shows you what's behind the curtain This is, in fact, the reason why we've called this series, The Unveiling. Paul is saying that the gospel reveals God's own righteousness. Now, Paul is talking about a very Jewish understanding of God's righteousness here, okay? And I think that's important. And so what Paul means is that when God is righteous, it means that God is a good and fair judge. It means that when God is righteous, it means that he is faithful in keeping his promises, And Paul is saying that when you really understand the gospel, when you fully understand it, it pulls back the curtain, okay? And you discover behind the curtain that God is completely fair and just. That God is, in fact, a God who keeps his promises. And through the letter, we're going to discover, we're going to see that phrase returning again and again, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the God. We're going to discover just how God's righteousness is being revealed through Jesus. Because here's the thing, if God's righteousness is intact, then that means that God can be trusted. Think of it this way. Um, I'm sure you've heard that uh, we have discovered vaccines for COVID. It's kind of good news for us in the world. Um, But you may have wondered, I don't know if you're anything like me, who's kind of skeptical by nature in some ways. You may have wondered, can I trust this vaccine? And I think that's a fair question. That's a good question. I mean, are they just putting like monkey spit in my arm or is this actually a legit product that's going to help me? You know, you kind of wonder that. So it raises the question, I mean, why do people trust in vaccines? Well, I think the answer to that question is people trust in vaccines because they know that they have been tested. Do you know that like, getting a, creating a vaccine is a very difficult process? It actually takes about 10 years to create a vaccine. So the fact that we were able to do it in one year is, is pretty amazing, uh, probably because there was a lot of urgency around this idea of creating a vaccine. But, I mean, there are multiple phases of testing that a vaccine needs to go through. It starts with animals, and then it starts with more people, and then larger groups of people. And all, all along the way, it's been reviewed and, reviewed and scrutinized by a whole series of scientists, right? Until you finally get to the end, and you think, okay, this thing is actually going to work. And there's not gonna be as many side effects as we would think, okay? That's what you get at the end of the day. Once you pull back the curtain and you explain that to people, they are far more willing to trust the vaccine than if they just say, here, try this, it's monkey spit. I think a question that many of us ask, and, and you've probably asked this, is this. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Is he good, is he fair? Is he just? Is he righteous? And I think as we go through this series in the next number of weeks, I hope and I pray that you will discover that God's righteousness is revealed, that God can in fact be trusted, and that you can trust God with your life. I just want to close with this. Um, The question for us today is, what are you going to do with this good news? And, and I liken it to <clears throat> something that's been sitting in my office for a number of days at home. Uh, this is a package that came from Amazon. And there's something really good inside. And, and I know there's something good inside because I paid for it and, and, I, and I bought it. Um, but it's just been sitting for a number of days. So I can't really enjoy it. I can't really appreciate it uh, because I have not opened the box. Um, if you're wondering what's in it, it's actually an ab exercise roller, so it's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, You might hate something like this, but I'm looking forward to this. Anyway, um, how do I open it? Well, I I receive it, and then I undo the flaps. The gospel, the good news, is like this in many ways. Um, You can know what's inside. You can appreciate it from a distance. But the only way that you're going to receive it is if you, in fact, open it. How do you open it? Well, Paul would say that the way that you receive this gift is through faith. That it is available for those who believe, Paul would say. Paul would say that it is a gospel that is ours from faith to faith. So faith is this idea of receiving it in full surrender and saying, Yes, I trust it. I trust you, God. I take it. And my encouragement for you today is to not just look at the gospel from afar. Look at it intently, for sure. But also to receive it yourself. And you receive it by faith. By putting your trust in the one who gave himself for you. Well, as we close, I want to give you an opportunity just this morning just to reflect on what you've heard. A chance for you to pray to Jesus. Did you know that you're not alone in your living room, even if you're by yourself or with your family? As that God is actually there, presence with you. Um, His Holy Spirit is, is throughout the world. He's all-present, and He's accessible for you. And maybe this morning God has been speaking to you about something in your life, maybe about uh, racial reconciliation, maybe about the, uh, the need to declare Jesus as Lord of your life, maybe about just the need to trust Jesus fully with your life. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just pause and to pray. You know, we live in a day where life is so busy and so crazy. We're moving from one thing to the next. But this is an opportunity for you to connect with God personally. What is God saying to you this morning? And more importantly, what do you think that you need to do about that? Let's take just a couple of minutes to pray. And then I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. Let's turn our hearts to the God who is ever available and ever present. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we huddle in our homes, just like the early church of old, we are mindful of how good you are. We thank you for this gospel, that it is for us, that God, you yourself are for us, and you invite us into relationship with you. Lord, may we be messengers of this gospel. May we live in this gospel we thank you Lord for your saving grace and your power to change and we bless you in Jesus name Amen. well thanks for listening to our podcast we hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, It's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.